of John. John, the 14th chapter. John 14. Now, we're going to begin a new series today called Three-Dimensional Living. Three-Dimensional Living. And we just finished a series uh, in which we talked about revelation, renewal, and, and restoration. Revelation, renewal, and restoration. And when we talk about three-dimensional living, and that's not Revelation, renewal, and restoration. And we're going to talk about how these connect. But the model for three-dimensional living was most clearly provided for us in the life of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus modeled this lifestyle of, of what I'm calling three-dimensional living. And so before we delve into talking about this, and, and we're going to look at each aspect of this, three dimensions, each of these three dimensions in detail over the next several weeks. But I want to kind of give you a summary. I want to summarize Revelation, Renewal, and Restoration because it's going to help us understand what we're talking about uh, in three-dimensional living. So I want you to kind of think about this concept or these truths of, of Revelation, Renewal, and Restoration as foundational truths. I want you to think of Revelation, renewal, and restoration as a circle or as a cycle. Um, and this is a continuous cycle or as a circle is, it's a continuous thing that is part of the life of every believer. So when we talk about, for instance, revelation, renewal, and restoration this foundational cycle uh, for every believer. A more simple way of maybe understanding this, so when we talk about revelation, we're talking about seeing. To have something revealed means it's, it's seen. The last book of your Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the purpose of the book is, is that you would see Jesus. The purpose of the book is not for you to see an antichrist. It's not for you to see tanks and helicopters and wars. And that's not the purpose of that book. The book's title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of. It is so that we would see Jesus. So Revelation speaks of seeing. So we can understand these three concepts in a real simple way is seeing Believing and growing. Revelation is seeing renewal is believing. So Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Before he says that, he begins that chapter, part of his letter, he says, Brethren, I beg you by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, no longer being conformed, this is a continuous thought, no longer being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how are we transformed? We're transformed through a process of renewal. You guys ever heard this saying, 
you, you only believe what you do. I mean, we can say we believe all kinds of things, but when it all really comes down to it, we, we can know what we believe based on what we do. Because we only, we only do, or we do what we truly only believe. So belief, true belief, translates into something. So when we talk about renewal, it is, it is the changing or the renewing of our mind, but that translates into something. This is why Paul says that you may prove, that you may test out, that you may show to be real what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. And we can boil that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God down to something very basic that Paul writes about in Colossians 1.27. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In, in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, This is what, if the rulers of the world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what? Had they known that God's plan all along was to redeem a people, to live in them, to indwell them by the Holy Spirit, so that Christ now lives in us by the Spirit of God, and now His image and His life has been manifest and multiplied and is filling the entire earth. The prophet wrote that the the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. What is the knowledge of the glory of God? Where is the knowledge of the glory of God found? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It's found in the face of Jesus Christ. Whose face, whose image is filling the earth? It is the image of Christ. How is he doing that? Because he has come to dwell in his people, in his believers. And as we multiply the body of Christ, as the body of Christ grows and grows and grows, the image of Christ is being multiplied throughout the earth by the work of the Spirit. We're being brought into greater and greater and greater, more close conformity to the image of the Son, and Christ is being revealed. So, revelation is seeing, renewal is believing, and restoration is growing. They say that every seven years... Uh, some of you scientific medical types might help me out on this, but this is what I've read before, that the human body basically replenishes itself, renews itself every seven years. Your cells die and new cells are made. You realize that's happening? I mean, right now, cells in your body are dying, but at the very same time they're dying, there's new ones being multiplied and being made. This is how we go from being little bitty babies coming out of our mama's womb to full-grown adults. It's a process of continuous restoration. Renewal is taking place. This is why I say this is a cycle. It's the circle of life or the cycle of life. So spiritually, as believers, this is the cycle or the circle we continuously go through. We are continuously having Christ revealed to us the more we are able to see Christ, the more clearly we're able to see Him, the more we are conformed to His image. 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what Paul says. Looking into this mirror, we are being transformed even to the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. Or when he says in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, we look in a glass, we look in a mirror dimly now, but then face to face. And we shall know even as we are known. See, there's not a problem with how God knows us. The problem is how we know ourselves. Because when we look in the mirror now, we can't really see Jesus. We only see him dimly. But what Paul is implying is that when we look in the mirror, we should see Christ. Why? Because if we understand 
We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So when I look in the mirror, I should understand that I'm not looking at myself. I've been crucified. I'm looking at Christ who is my life. And so the more clearly I'm able to see Christ, the more I'm being renewed and transformed, conformed to the image, the more restoration is taking place and that's being multiplied throughout the body just like your body grows. Your hands now are one size. They were much, much smaller when you were born. Five minutes out of your mama's womb, your hand is much bigger now than it was five minutes out of your mama's womb. Well, what happened? Your body grew. Your body matured. And this is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. And so, restoration or revelation, renewal and restoration is about seeing, believing, and growing. It's this continuous cycle of our life. So it's seeing and knowing and experiencing Christ in ever-increasing reality. Renewal is about continual transformation of our mind through faith that's bringing us into ever-increasing conformity to the image of the Son of God. Another word we could use for renewal is repentance. Repentance. Repentance is not something that you do once in your life. Repentance is something we do continually. The word repentance really speaks of, it means a change of mind. And so this is what Paul says, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. How many of you would say, you would agree with this statement that your mind has experienced renewal and transformation so that your mind is different now than it was when you were five days old. I didn't say your brain was different, but your mind is different, right? What you have learned, what you have experienced, what you have come to know, your mind. Something's happened. It's been renewed. Now, when we were born again by the power of God, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So when we were born again, God didn't erase our carnal mind, our fleshly mind. I mean, we can all right now think back and maybe remember way back into our childhood. I mean, I can remember my mom giving me a bath in our kitchen sink. Now, you know how small it had to be, right? And, and, and our kitchen sink wasn't very big. So I was a little bitty baby. I can remember pretty far back. I don't remember everything. I remember my first grade class. I remember my first grade teacher spanking my hands with a ruler because I didn't understand my math worksheet. You think there was a relation? I had, I had a horrible time with math all the way to my freshman year in, in, uh, or my, my uh, junior year at University of Texas. It just suddenly clicked my junior year in college. But up until that point, I had horrible problems with math. I think it all goes back to that traumatic experience in first grade when that teacher whacked my knuckles with a ruler. I don't even know what I... I just ask a question. Whack! Don't be asking questions, Sonny! Whatever she said. I don't know what she said to me. But it's, it scarred me. Scarred me for, y'all are laughing at me. It's not funny. It scarred me. But you know what? God healed me. God renewed my mind and, and he helped me. 
But I can remember those things. But when I was born again, see, I, I, I couldn't live out of my old mind. Now I have the mind of Christ, so now I need to live out of the mind of Christ. So how does that happen? It's not just some miraculous thing that happens. Listen, when you were born again, that was a miraculous thing that happened. Because you can't change your nature. You are darkness and you can't work yourself to become light. God, in His sovereignty, in His power, changed you from darkness to light. But once I became light, I still had a mind that could remember the dark ways. And I can still hear the voice saying, Come to the dark side, Jeff. But I resist that because I know God's called me to the light. I was once darkness, but now I'm light. So I don't walk as a child of darkness any longer. I walk as a child of light. But, but I'm going to do that because I'm going to have my mind continuously renewed according to the light. Who is the light? Christ is the light. And so my mind is renewed. So repentance is a change in mind. And if our mind changes, guess what else is going to change? Our actions will change. If you concentrate on trying to change your actions, but you never change your mind, you're fighting a losing battle. It's called behavior modification, and it does not work. But if you change your mind, you won't have to, you won't have to try to change your actions. They're just going to automatically change. Because you're going to do basically what's in your mind to do. You will. So renewal and repentance, I believe, are, are interchangeable terms in that sense. The third is restoration. So restoration is the continual growing or maturing or building up of the body in love. This is from, first, from Ephesians 4.12 through 16. This is what Paul describes in beautiful detail about every part of the body joined and knit together, functioning together, supplying what the other needs so that the body is building itself up in love this is restoration right now naturally biologically there are cells in your body dying at the very same moment there are cells being renewed and birthed and made new and, and, and you're still growing and you're still being renewed and restored day by day paul says the outer man perishes but the inner man is being renewed or restored day by day and so this process of growing maturing and being built up it's growing up in all things into Christ. It's coming to a complete man, to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. This is what restoration is about. So these things are foundational. This is the life cycle. This is the circle of life, if you will, that, that every believer continuously goes through in their life. You never stop, don't ever stop seeing Christ. Don't ever stop seeking to see Him in new ways, in deeper ways, in greater ways. He will reveal Himself to you continuously if you seek Him. He says, seek and you will find. And so, revelation, renewal, and restoration form a continuous circle that's ever encompassing all things. So you think of, just think of your life, and, 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 and you're in this circle, this circle that's your life. It's this ever-encompassing, your knowledge of Christ, your ability to see Christ, the renewing of your mind, the transformation that's, being, that's taking place in you, that you're coming greater and greater, closer and closer, conformed to the image of the Son, the restoration that continually takes place, the growth, the maturity, 
that's taking place, the building up of the body. It's the circle that's ever-encompassing. It's, it's encompassing. It's growing, and it's taking in areas of your life. It's taking in thought patterns and strongholds in your mind and, and behaviors and habits, and it's taking in everything. And this thing is growing so that as the course of your life continues, your life becomes more and more defined and closely conformed to Christ, who is your life. So it's ever-encompassing all things. It's ever-increasingly manifesting His life. Very simply, church, this is the power of the gospel. This is what the gospel does. The gospel is not just an altar call for salvation. The gospel is, is the totality of your life in Christ. It's everything that has to do with who you are in Christ. It's how you live. It's how you work. It's how you play. It's, it's everything. It's everything. So this cycle is foundational to the life of the believer in the body of Christ. Amen? Okay, so let's now, that's our foundation for what we're getting ready to delve into and what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. Three-dimensional living. So as we talk about three-dimensional living, we're going to look at three relationships that Jesus clearly modeled for us. And these three relationships are absolutely crucial and integral as a part of our lives, as followers of Christ. Do you count yourself a follower of Christ? I use the word follower and disciple interchangeably. You, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple of Christ. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're a follower of Christ. Those words are synonymous. They mean the same thing. I didn't ask you if you were a churchgoer. I didn't ask you if you were religious. I didn't ask you if you were a spiritual person. All of those things have different meanings and connotations depending on who you're talking to. So we just cut to the very basic. Are you a follower of Jesus? And if you are, then your life is, is defined as and characterized by very specific things. Okay? Three-dimensional living. You know what the word dimension means? Wasn't there a music group? Who were, who were they? The fifth dimension. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about three-dimensional living. Thought there was. The word dimension. The word dimension means it, it means a measure in one direction. Okay? Mathematically, uh, usually when we talk about dimension, we're talking about uh, mathematics or probably would be geometry. <sighs> Who liked geometry? Man, you know, I just so am I I I envy you guys, God forgive me, but I do. I just, it, I think it's fascinating, but I just couldn't do it. You know, I was lucky to make a C in geometry. I just, it never, it just didn't click with me. It's still today it doesn't click with me. I just don't get it. I know it's really, really, really important. I know it is. Um, but I just don't get it. But you know, maybe God will help me as we talk about three-dimensional living. Maybe God will give me some revelation about geometry that I need to get. But specifically, a dimension is one of three coordinates determining a position in, in space. Usually, I think it's like uh, height, width, and length, I think, are your three dimensions. But, 
But I just want to, I want you to focus on this. It's a measure in one direction, okay? A dimension is a measure in one direction. So we're talking about three-dimensional living. What do I mean by that? And here's what I mean by this. We're going to use three directions to help us define and understand these relationships. So remember, Jesus' life was, was really, uh, there were three relationships that defined his life. And those three relationships were going to correlate to directions, okay? To help us kind of understand uh, the relationships that we're talking about. So Jesus lived out his life on earth in these three relationships or these three directions. The first direction is this, up. It speaks of his relationship with his Father, the Father in heaven. The next direction is in. It speaks of his relationship with his, with his disciples, his followers. Jesus had a relationship with his Father in heaven. But he also had a relationship with his disciples, with his followers. And the third direction is out. It speaks of the relationship Jesus had with the world. He was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. This is what he says of us. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We live in this world. We feel the effects of this world, but we need to always remember we are not of this world. We once were. But when, once we became born again, we are no longer of this world. We're born of the Spirit, born from above. We're not of this world any longer. It's hard for us to, I think, sometimes reconcile that because we're so tied to this earth, we're so tied to this world, and it has such an effect on us constantly that it's hard for us to distinguish the reality that we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world any longer. The fact that we're not of the world doesn't mean we don't feel the effects of the world. I mean, gravity still works on us, right? I found that out a couple of weeks ago playing football. Gravity still works. And I still feel the effects of the gravity, as a matter of fact. I still can't sleep on my left side. So we know gravity works. I'm not of the world, but by golly gosh, the world has an effect on me, right? It sure does. But, but that doesn't matter. What defines who we are is the truth. The Scripture, Christ, the Spirit of God. So we're going to look at these three relationships. And we're going to use Jesus as our model. Three-dimensional relationships or three-dimensional living. Up is the direction that speaks of our relationship with the Father. In is the direction that speaks of our relationship with one another as the body of Christ. And out speaks of the relationship we have with the world around us. Amen? All right, so let's, let's today, in, in uh, just laying the foundation and kind of setting the stage for what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, let's, let's look at each three, these three in the life of Jesus, okay? Let's go to um, John. Let me see, where do I want to go here? Let's go to John chapter 5. To begin with, John chapter 5. Let's see. John chapter 5, verse 19. John 5, 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. And He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. Okay, so do you see Jesus is speaking of the relationship he has with his father. Now I want you to, I want you to pay close attention. What, what kind of relationship did Jesus have with his father? I mean, him and his father weren't just good pals, good buddies. My father's my best friend, you know. I love hanging out with him. Now, Jesus said, I don't do anything apart from my father. What I see... The Father do, that's what I do. Whatever He does, that's what the Son does in like manner. Now, this I, I promise you, this was much easier for Jesus' disciples to grasp than it is for us to grasp. Because as Jesus is speaking this to His disciples, Jesus is speaking to them, He was their rabbi and, he, and they were His disciples. You know, there's places in the Gospels where, where they call Jesus rabbi. Rabbi, rabboni, which means teacher. You'll see that note. Jesus was a rabbi. His disciples, his followers were his disciples. and He was their teacher. And the custom was that you emulated the life of your rabbi. Whatever your rabbi did, that's what you did. If your rabbi's walking... On the Sabbath, and he takes the grain, the head of grain from the wheat field from the corners there and eats it, then that's what you do. But then another rabbi comes along and says, hey, you just broke the law. How come you're teaching your disciples to break the law? I mean, this, this, it, when Jesus is saying these things, he is communicating to them the relationship he has with his father. And in like manner, this was the relationship his disciples had with Jesus. So what he's telling them, look, this is what I do. What I see my father do, this is what I do in like manner. And they understood, okay, well, this is what we're supposed to do. What we see you do, this is what we are supposed to do. So up defines the relationship Jesus had with his father. Turn over a few pages to John 14. John 14. We're going to stay in the book of John as we talk about these things this morning. John 14, let's go to the very beginning of the 14th chapter. Jesus speaking here again. Now this is, this is just before Jesus is arrested. I mean, this is taking place. They've eaten the Passover meal, and, and they're, they're getting ready. Jesus is on his way to the garden. He's going to pray in the garden, and he's going to be arrested. I mean, this is literally... Uh, the night before the crucifixion of Jesus, that Jesus is telling his disciples these things. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, you know the way. 
Now, where's Jesus going? He's going to his father. He's going to his father. And Thomas says, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how we're going to get there. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord... Show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is making these profound statements about his relationship with the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? Now look at this, verse 10. I am in the Father and the Father in me. This is the relationship Jesus had with his Father. This wasn't just some abstract thing. This wasn't just some Jesus is using really intense language here. Jesus is speaking reality. Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This testifies to the deity of Jesus Christ. The Muslims say Jesus was a great prophet, a great teacher, but he wasn't the Son of God and he certainly was not God. I beg to differ. Jesus is very clearly declaring himself right here, equal with God, equal with the Father, in terms of his nature, his essence, his divine being. He's speaking profoundly of his relationship with the Father. Verse 10, let's continue. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me and I am, that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do that I will do, that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16, look at this. And I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him. Now there's revelation. This is why revelation is important. This is why it's important for you to see Christ. Not just read about him in a book and try to figure him out intellectually. But that by the power of the spirit you get a revelation and you see Jesus, I'm not saying having some weird Jesus walks in your bedroom at night, sits down on your bed. and No, I'm, I'm talking about a spiritual revelation. I'm talking about an ongoing experiential reality that you know, that you know, that you know, that you have in your spirit by faith. You have a revelation of Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior of the world. He 
He's going to pray. He's going to send a helper that will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? Because they've seen Jesus. Not because, not because they were physically with Jesus, but because by faith they have come to believe. But, but they're fixing to experience something that's going to shake them to the very core but, but this is the comfort Jesus is giving them. I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you someone who's going to help you, that's going to enable you to not only see, but to know. He dwells with you and will be, future tense, will be in you. Now look at verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This is, again, a Hebrewism. This is rabbinic language. When a rabbi died, his disciples were called orphans because he was their spiritual father. Jesus, speaking as a rabbi to his disciples, is saying, I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you again. Now, I'm going to tell you, he's not talking about a coming that we're still waiting for. The coming he's talking about already happened. He's not talking about the second coming here. He's talking about his appearing after the resurrection. That's the coming. He's talking to his disciples. They're not still waiting for Jesus to come. He already came to them. Now, we're waiting for Jesus to appear physically, split the eastern sky open, but this is not what Jesus is talking about in John 14. He is talking about his coming. I'm going to come to you again when I'll show you here in the Scripture. We're talking about the relationship Jesus had with his father. And it mirrors the relationship we have with Jesus, right? Jesus is teaching his disciples how to have a relationship with God. We need to learn from Jesus what our relationship with God is about. So he goes on, he says, A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Why? Because I live, you will live. He's talking about his resurrection. At that day, at the day of my resurrection, you will know that I am in my Father. Now look at this, verse 20. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. At that day, you will see me, I live, and because I live, you live. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, I want you to look at this real closely. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Where is Jesus? When Jesus ascended, where did he go? What's the whole point of this chapter? He's saying, I'm going to my Father. I came from my Father, I'm going back to my Father. He's teaching his disciples about this relationship. He's saying, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you because why? Because you're going to come to my Father too. You're going to be in my Father as I'm in my Father. You're going to have a relationship with the Father as I have a relationship with the Father. At that day, you'll know that I am in the Father. Where is Jesus? Now, where is Jesus now? He's left this earth. He's ascended to who? To the Father. He says, in that day, I'm in the Father. Where are you? If you're in Christ. You're in Christ. 230 some odd times the New Testament uses the phrase in Christ. 
Where are we? If you're a believer, you're in Christ. Where is your blessing? It's in Christ. Where is your life? It's in Christ. Where is everything that you could ever want, possibly need, or desire? It's in Christ. Whether you know it or not, that's the truth. It's in Christ. So if you are in Christ, and Christ is in the Father, and Christ is in you, then then have we been brought to the Father? Have we? Has there been a way made for us to come to the Father? Yes. Now, I know you're sitting in Christ Fellowship Church building at the corner of Mills and McLean in these nice brown padded chairs. I understand that. But that does not deny or change the fact that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you are in the Father because Christ is in His Father. This is what Jesus says. In that day, you will know, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus did what He did on the cross so that we could watch, so that we also, with Him, in Him, could have relationship with the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Man, that's powerful. That's so deep, it's beyond our comprehension. Don't try to figure it out. Don't worry about it. Isaiah says, of God, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Don't don't worry. Just know that it's true. You'll never know the depths of it till you are shed of this curse, till you're shed of this flesh, and you'll spend eternity amazed, wondering at the depths of His grace, the depths of His love, the depths of what He has done in bringing you to the Father in Him. So up speaks of this relationship we have with the Father. Go to John 15. In speaks of the relationship Jesus has with His disciples. And in John 15, Jesus uses a beautiful analogy to give us a picture of this reality. John 15, 1, I am am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away or He lifts up. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. That Greek word is the same word as prune. You're already clean. You're already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus? He's talking to his followers. He says, abide in me. This is the relationship. Jesus is teaching us about the relationship he has with his followers. Abide in me. Abide in me. Does abide speak of work or does abide speak of rest? When you hear the word abide, do you think work or do you think rest? It speaks of rest. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is the relationship. Jesus is painting a beautiful picture here. That we are to abide in Him. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. 
and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you are my, you ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, there's the relationship between Father and Son. I also have loved you. There's the relationship between Christ and his disciples. And the last direction we're going to look at and then we're going to close is out. Go to John chapter 3. This speaks of the relationship Jesus has with the world around him. Really, we could read the first three chapters of John and, and they really tell us a lot about. Well, well let's just let's go to John 1 1. What kind of relationship does Jesus have with the world? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. That speaks a lot about the relationship Jesus has with the world, doesn't it? He's the creator of it. There's not anything that exists that exists apart from Him. He created everything. I mean, that right there, that, that's like in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I mean, if we don't believe the beginning story, then it's going to be hard for us to, to grasp the rest of it. I mean, Jesus is telling, John is writing this. And he's telling us about the relationship Jesus has with the world. He is the word of God that spoke the world into existence. Verse 14 goes on and it says, And the word, this word that created everything, by whom everything and all things that are created were created, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. That right there. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word came to the world he created. This is the relationship Jesus has with the world. That we need to understand. Jesus was not in heaven, the creator of the world, expecting the world to come to him. Jesus, the creator of the world, came to the world. This really speaks to us as the church today. This is why Jesus gave us the commission he gave us. He didn't say, sit therefore in your buildings and wait for them to come to you. He said, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, sit therefore. He said, go therefore. Wait therefore. No, go therefore. And this is why we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about three-dimensional living because if we don't understand this, if we don't understand the proper relationship between father with one another and the world around us, we're going to fall into the same traps the same misconceptions, the same myths that we've fallen into for decades. And we're not going to understand really what God's telling us to do. And it's very apparent, it's very important that we do understand. Go to John chapter 3. Talking about Jesus' relationship with the world. John chapter 3 verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. Jesus came down from heaven to this world. 
But he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him be saved. Does your Bible say might? Might be saved? I don't like that word. And that word is not in the original text. Because in the King James, the word might, in in King James, England, the word might, meant something different than what we understand it. When I I read that, with my modern understanding, that the world through him might be saved, what I read is it might or it might not be. That That is not the meaning of that text. That word might is not even there. You can go to the original text, it's not even there. That word might means, really should be, that the world through him would be saved. It's not it might or it might not be, Jesus came to do what he was going to do, and he, he accomplished it. This doesn't leave doubt in our mind about what he might or might not be able to accomplish. This is where we've, we've, we've taken a word, and, and our modern culture has changed our understanding of this word. But that, that I, I just, I don't, I don't like that because it leaves doubt in people's mind. It's that the world through him saved. What it really says in the Greek is that the world through him sozo. Might be is not even there. That's just added to give us understanding. Would be. That the world through him saved. Would be saved. It's talking about that salvation speaks of what he's going to do. Not what he might do. But what he is going to do. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. Here's the relationship. Jesus came into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So up speaks of the relationship we have with the Father. In speaks of the relationship we have with one another. Out speaks of the relationship we have with the world that we are in, but we're not of any longer. Amen? So living three-dimensional is only going to be achieved as we understand this ever-increasing circle or cycle of life, that I am continually seeking and receiving a revelation of Christ. How do I do that? As I read the Word, as I pray, as I meditate, as I just look at the wonder of creation around me. Last night we were watching the movie and all you had to do was just slightly look up and there was the, the spectacular beauty of the heavens so clearly displayed. It was glorious. That reveals the face of God's glory. That reveals 
the Creator, the Word made flesh, the Word who spoke those stars into existence, the world who, who spoke all that we see around us into existence. So we need to be able to see Christ. This renewal, we need to be able to be transformed in our mind and this restoration, we need to be able to experience the reality of one body growing up in all things into Christ. And from this unending circle that we talked about, that we live in, revel- in, in relationship. So, in this context of revelation, renewal, and restoration that continuously takes place in our life, we live in relationship three-dimensionally. We, we have a relationship with the Father. We have a relationship with one another. We have a relationship with the world that we're in. And we need to learn how to live in those relationships and function in those relationships so that they all work together to the glory of God. For our ultimate, I mean, really, for our joy, for our, God wants you to have a a joyful, happy life. He does. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have hard things happen. You will. You live long enough, hard things are going to happen to you. How are you going to make it through the hard things if you don't understand these three dimensions of relationship? It's going to be difficult for you to make it through. That God's got a plan and God's got a purpose that go far beyond anything and everything we experience in this natural life on this natural earth. Amen? Three-dimensional living. That's where we're going to be in the next few weeks. So, are you ready? All right, let's stand. Now, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I want to pray. I want you just to I want you to take a moment. I want you to consider where you are. Where are you in your relationship with God? Say, man, I I know know I'm firmly planted in Christ. I know that, that I have eternal life. I am so very thankful for the grace of God. Where are you in your relationship with those around you? those other members of the body that you're joined to. Where are you in your relationship with the world? Is the world your mission field or is the world your playground? See, God didn't put us in the world that it just be a playground for us. He put us in the world that we would live on mission. He put things in this world for our enjoyment, for our pleasure. Absolutely. But if we segregate these areas of our life and we don't see them as a whole, we begin to live in an unhealthy manner. Father, I pray that you would help us by the power of your Spirit. God, if there's anyone here today, Lord, that that is not sure of their relationship with you, Lord, not that they're perfect. None of us live perfect lives. None of us 
uh, live life without failing. I'm not talking about living failure-free lives, being perfect. I'm saying, do I have the assurance in my heart that I am born again, that I am a child of God, and I know God loves me even with all of my faults and imperfections? If you don't know that, I, I want you to be able to leave this place today with the assurance that you do know that. And I want to invite you to come and talk to me after the service. It's a choice you have to make. You don't have to come talk to me. There's nothing magic about talking to the pastor. But I think there is something important about confessing our sins or acknowledging it's an act of humility. God says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So, Father, I pray that you move in our hearts. If there are any here today, God, that, that just need to talk about their relationship with you, that, God, you'd put it on their heart to do that before they leave this place today. Father, if there are, uh, Lord, those here today and, and our relationships aren't right with one another, Lord, it might be a family member, a friend, somebody, God, that you would help us, that you would convict us, and you would give us the grace, God, to walk in right relationship in the body with one another. And that we would see and we would value one another, Lord, as vital parts of the body. We may have different functions. We may have different gifts. But God, none of us are indispensable. Or none of us are dispensable, I should say. None of us are not needed, not valued. We are all valuable and all needed as parts of the body. So help us, God, to live in such a way that we express that to one another. And Father, I pray that you would help us as your followers, as your disciples, to be people who would live on mission. God, we would seek and look for opportunities to reach out to family and friends and co-workers and neighbors. Lord, not to just preach at them or be an annoyance to them, but God, that we would extend the love of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, that God, they would just see something different about our lives that would cause them to wonder. And Lord, through your divine providence, you'd bring it about that, that Lord, one day they would come to understand that difference would be Jesus. And we would have opportunity to share our faith and to share the life and the love of Christ. God, help us to be a church, a body of people that are not sitting and waiting, but we are ready to go into the world and as disciples make disciples. Lord, we ask this today for your glory. We ask that you would do it by the power of your spirit, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you. If you want prayer, if you want to talk more about your faith in Christ, or maybe you've got a special prayer need, I would invite you to come, and we will pray and we will talk. Amen. God bless you.